and welcome to the Mock Stars Mother Flippin' Podcast. My name is Jordan Garcia. I'm one of your hosts. I'm one of the okay ones. One of the other okay ones, aka great ones, is Evan Kunai right to the right of me here. Oh. Wow, that was very loud. Uh, R.I.P. Chris Ritter. He's in uh, Vegas enjoying some sunshine and some lazy rivers. So shout out to him. Yeah, he's a Vegas boy now. We just don't. He, he just he lives there. I love that for he's, him. He, he's there. It seems like every other week. I love that for him, and I'm deeply, deeply envious. Yeah. But he gets to miss out, has to miss out on this awesome podcast journey that we are all going on with you today. So before we get into it, before we get any further, shout our socials, go find us on YouTube, freaking give us a five stars on the podcast platforms. We got everything linked down below. On top of that, we've been absolutely crushing. And by we, I mean, Evan has been absolutely crushing the discord channel. It's been bumping. We're getting tons of new people. So come say hi, come participate, say what's up. Uh, we're also running tons of local games in the local uh, Seattle area, so shout out. What's up? We're going to be playing a bunch, and this week, after you listen to this podcast, we're going to be playing a bunch this week in uh, preparation for the tournament in Issaquah. So you yeah. can, if you find us uh, and join us on the Discord, you can actually jam some games with us, and we'll be there uh, pretty much as soon as we're done, finished with work. So uh I'd say like 4.30 Pacific Coast time. Yeah, we get off work and just start jamming games. Yeah, we're going to go to Gabby's this weekend, actually, and uh, we'll be getting ready for... Actually, this won't be out in time. Yeah, next week's episode will be tournament recap. We'll have just gotten back from Gabby's and getting ready to go to Laughing Dragon. Back-to-back freaking tourneys. What is up? Yeah! Well, Evan, boy, oh boy, do I have a topic for you here today. Unfurl your genius idea so last week we talked about mid-range oh yeah correct yeah i think i remember that i think so too i know all of you lovely listeners do uh we made a statement in the mid-range episode and it's that mid-range is quickly going to become a top meta competitor because of the presence of stacks and better value pieces being printed it just has gotten to a point where we think the meta is going to start seeing a shift. We've seen a little bit. It's obviously not there yet. You know, Rog Sai is still crushing, doing the Turbo Nas, haha, whatever bullshit. Yeah. But I'm seeing the change. I'm seeing the tides of turning. The stacks is good. The stacks is healthy. It's out there. It's in every fucking deck. And because of that, we start seeing mid-range decks pop up. There's time for them to set up their value engines and get their dub. And that is exactly what we're talking about today. We're talking about value engines. Value engines plus smart interaction. Oh, sorry. Uh, Thank you. I I know you're all saying that at home. I just can't hear you. So I needed (laughs) Evan to do that. Thank you as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Yeah, but we're talking about value engines, dude. They are the lifeblood of freaking mid-range decks. I think value engines plus smart interaction, whether it be stacks or, you know, on the stack, AO, what up? uh, I think it's what makes... Not only mid-range deck successful, but a force to be reckoned with. Something that is going to take over the meta. And before we get into that subject, we have a few pre-game actions. Of course. Before the game starts, we have to just make sure we check for that. Pre-game actions. Uh, you Jordan. have gemstone caverns? Oh, yeah, I do. I do have a gemstone cavern. I want to start with your gemstone caverns, because my gemstone caverns is less cool. It's a ley line of anticipation, because I've been <laughs> anticipating this trade-in for so long. It's the mailbag. Mailbag! Uh, wow, we're back with good. it. Yeah, I like right? that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Jordan and I got some sweet, tasty things, but more than anything, I accomplished my pipe dream of achieving the shard of lands, of dual lands necessary to complete my CEDH deck, which is now Shalai and Halar. I apologize for that being super loud. I just wanted to punctuate the moment. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> the crowd goes wild. Uh, so I got today, or like, not today, it was this weekend, I got a taiga, a plateau, I already had a savanna, and I got a mox diamond, mm-hmm. all through trade-in. So thank you, Card Kingdom, for your lovely service. Sponsor us. If you have any cards just laying around, and this is my suggestion to the world, the magic world... The rich only get richer. Give them your fucking card so you can actually get some trade-in value and trade up. Like, I know it's all well and good to, like, build your next deck or, like, you're super excited about something coming out. Like, call your shots, sure. Like, when prices are low, if you called your shot on Atraxa when it was $5. That just happens so rarely, you y- know? Yeah, you, it's like one card in every set. But you there know, is one. And a lot of times nowadays, I feel like a lot of these people feel like they missed the boat, you know? Yeah. Like, on a lot of the shit. I hardly participate in it anymore because I feel like I've missed the boat. You know, like yeah. it's like the instant set comes out. If you bought some packs like Haywire might like <laughs> when that came out in Brothers War. Right. I traded in a few of them to Card Kingdom because they're paying two dollars and twenty four cents a piece. Go ahead. Sell your fucking Haywire. You don't need them. To Card Kingdom. Why are they that much? I and don't understand. They're selling them for four dollars and they must be selling them like actually two people for them to charge that much. So um, I get that it might be a standard card, but like I encourage all of you to look through your collections, separate yourself from the cards that you know you're not going to need and send them to Card Kingdom or there's uh, that other service that I see all the time. Card Conduit is one. Yeah, yeah card there's Conduit. a few options out there for selling your cards. Yeah, so like hit any of those up, get your store credit back. Card, I'm just suggesting Card Kingdom because you send it to them, you get the store credit back, and you can immediately turn that into reserved list cards, mm-hmm. cards that you need for a deck or whatever. You know, it's like the world is your oyster after you get the store credit. Yeah. A lot of LGSs will do this, but Card Kingdom's system is just so vast and large and it's just a machine that yeah. it, it it is just very convenient. That being said, you know, if you got a local LGS to go to, do that. Yeah, if you're in like if you're in Washington or if you're in the Seattle area, it's probably the best system to abuse or to like to use, not abuse, but uh like they're just they're so local. Like you can do it either one way. You can either go to Bellevue and trade in, or you can go to the Ballard location and trade in as well. Yeah, um, yeah, that's what Evan and I've been doing for the last few years. And like I found, I thought I had already gotten rid of all of my stuff, and then just from the last, I would say eight months of five to six drafts, and you know maybe one or two boxes of Commander precons. I don't buy packs. Yeah, I mean, I haven't even been buying that many singles like the la- this last year, and. Somehow, I still managed to dig deep enough to find 1300 bucks in trade-in. So, like, you know, catch me chilling. Yeah, that was the same with me. I looked through, and it was just like, like, the Haywire Mites were definitely a shocking surprise, but... Yeah, there's a lot of random shit. There's sometimes, like, you have a card that you bought, like, way back in. Like, I traded in for Judge Foil Land Tax, and I thought I, like, spent too much on it, but Land Tax is all but a dead card in the competitive scene. Mm. So, I mean... It has collector value, so I traded in. They paid me exactly what I paid for it. So I was like, hey, appreciation. You know, like, I got, you know, I got that. That's actually bag. pretty sick. Yeah. Yeah. It was nice. That's my mailbag. Got two dual lands and a mox diamond. Fuck yeah. 
Yeah, also very, very crispy. They all like real good. It's not like you were yeah. getting those G's. That's the other thing. If you get it from Card Kingdom, any card over $100, you can show up to the uh, Mox Boarding House in Ballard, uh, neighborhood of Seattle, and go through the process where they will bring down multiple versions of that card, all graded to the same quality, and you get to pick and choose which ones. It's one of my favorite processes. That is a luxury. Yeah, and you just get to handle, like, I got to handle six different taigas to, like, pick the one that I wanted. Yeah. I remember going through the process of, like, Guy's Cradle, and, like, people walk by, and they're, like, watching me, like, personally grade guys cradles to like take home it's it's so crazy and it's a very surreal experience because you never really think that you have these cards in your hand and all of a sudden there's like four or five of them in front of you yeah and they also feel so unattainable until you realize how much the random shit in those boxes you've been collecting is worth sometimes right so get rid of them you don't need the bulk and you don't need the waste of space in your closet anyway and go get yourself some sick-ass foils Oh, yeah, but don't spend up for a Fable the Mirror Breaker right now because it is way too high and way too expensive. So expensive. Yeah. Be smart with your investments, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, Jordan, what'd you get in the mail? Oh, shit. I mean, it's nothing nearly as exciting as you, Guy. I've already posted a while back, but I picked up the uh, the underground scene in that Grim Monolith, which is huge cop. But yep, this yep, week, yep. I we're get, like I said, we're getting ready for the going to the tournaments. So I've switched my commanders once again, as I want to do. Oh, <laughs> As I want to do. You risky fella. Uh, I don't know. I'm just messing around. I'm trying to figure out what vibes with me and what I feel like is I'm going to be the most comfortable with. And I think that's what I'm going to perform the best with. And so we're still figuring that out, you know? Right now, and like the, the hype train I'm kind of on right now is still Grixis, obviously. Uh, but it's Tavesh and Krom. Krom Tavesh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's so good just because you get to play all the bullshit, but then you have two five drops that you don't have to take off of Adnaz to have just like sitting there as value engines. Hey, are we talking about value engines today? Hello. I do think this deck is your bread and butter right now. When we watched you play it just this last week, it felt more akin to what you like to do. You felt like I felt your presence as a player like more than I've ever felt it before. You know, like it felt like Malcolm was like a cool little, uh, almost like a gimmicky thing that you'd found and you had stuck to it and you really wanted to make it your own. But, Mm -hmm. you know, after a while, you just found out that it isn't as effective or as unique to your personal play style as you might have hoped. And now that you're playing this, it's like I watch you cast, (laughs) you you literally tutored for Jeweled Lotus so that you could get Tavesh out there on turn one. And it's like Tavesh sits out there and you get the thralls. And the next turn, it's like, yeah, I'll just sack one of these thralls, draw two two cards. You know, and it's like, yeah, that's just really fucking good. It's really good. And it's like, ah, we're going to lose this fucking game because Jordan's just drawing so many (laughs) cards. And then you cast Krom and Kyle just played right into the Krom. He just let you draw cards. He kept casting. I was like, I'm not feeding it. I can win with one spell at a time. I'm still right. I'm still fine. I'm not going to feed the Krom. But it is like very much. I feel like this is becoming more, uh, uh, more akin to what you want to do and who you are as a player i agree i think i'm finding it i'm finding like i get to play the cards i want to play right like i I have tons of space in this list that i'm messing around with and you know playing with wheel package which i still like um kind of tbd on that right now yeah but uh i love displacer kitten right and like this is finally a great deck to play i felt like evelyn most of the time you weren't casting it until you were playing world gorger you were just going for the win. And so it still felt like a very tunnel-y, heads-down kind of deck, where this kind of feels more open, available to the situation. 
Um, and so like the displacer kit in line, like if I just see in my hand, I have like a way to get to dockside and displacer kitten. The line is so easy. It's just like right. freaking use the dockside to pay for displacer kitten. As long as you have another mana, you usually have a non-creature spell for one mana in your hand. You most of the time. Your curve is so low. The curve is super fucking low. And so you hit that, you get the ritual off again, you get your Tevesh, you do it again. Hell, even sack the dockside, I don't know, to draw two cards, flicker your Tevesh, now you're drawing four cards. Yeah. Like it's just it's almost like a manual storm deck at that point. Yeah, like, it's uh, you, you know you can even go get a reanimate or whatever, sack yeah. your yeah, sack the dockside, reanimate it, get exactly. that trigger, flicker the uh Tevesh, get your dockside back to the battlefield, get that trigger, and then with the two cards you've already picked up, again, you know, two more cards you picked up, hopefully be able to chain into more dockside flickers and stuff like that. Right, exactly. And that's all like if I'm not just outright winning with Grixis shit. Like, it was kind of like amazing to see. I felt like, uh, you know, there's a crescendo to the game, right? When someone goes off and they start chaining together, like how they're going to win the game mm-hmm. through their value engines. Uh, like when I watched the Thrasios uh, Dargo deck basically do that with Displacer Kitten and Dockside. Right. I was like, I felt like a symphony was playing and it was just like this building orchestra of how are they? What? Like it was disbelief. And so now that you've got that package in there, it's like, holy shit. Yeah, it's going to when it happens and it pops off, which it's not unlikely that it does. It's like, you know, this whole win second format is just like you sit back, you play your interaction, you play mm-hmm. off the right foot and then you play a Dockside. And most people... I mean, it's hard to interact with Dockside on the stack uh, unless you're literally pitching a force force of will. Right. So, um, yeah, I think uh, it's going to be a great deck. And I, th- I feel like you're definitely going to see success, probably notch a few dubs and get into that top 10 of Gabby's. Well, I really appreciate the hype there on that. We will fucking see. Uh, I still need a lot of practice. So same. We'll, we'll see. But, yeah, I'm really excited about it. I think it lets me play a lot of the fun stuff. and There's a lot of neat interactions that I is what I really like out of a deck. And so when you lose those, you know, I start losing a little interest. Yeah. Um, so I think this has enough in it for me. But why it's really good is the freaking value engines. And that's what we're going to talk about right now with our main topic. Yes, sir. Okay. So value engines are why mid-range decks are good. But why are value engines good? I'm wondering wh- how you want to get into this. Because there's you a want- lot of places to start. There's a lot of places to start. I would like to start... With a very simple question. Yes. Why are value engines good? It's It's pretty open. Yeah, yeah, well, it's uh, the hope is that you're uh, accruing value over like time. Like I think more rather. So your investment, like I'd say like if you can pay three mana for a card, like is that like the standard? Would you say like if you paid two mana? You would draw a card, right? And so oh, if you yeah, yeah. So if you have an ability that you can play down one time, sticks to the board, and you're able to like curb that cost and basically draw more cards where your average cost is less than two mana per card, I feel like that's when you start straying into the like uh, value engine territory. Totally, yeah. And I think you really hit the nail on the head there with the whole concept of like you invest in it once, and it just lets you maintain this level of resources yeah and you don't have to continue investing and sometimes you do mr gamora whatever but more often than not you get to put it out there and you get it gets to keep you in the game apropos of anything else going on 
Yeah, and it uh, that's a good way to put it is resources. And that's whenever I teach someone how to play magic, that's the way I always phrase it is, you know, mana is a resource. Cards are resources. Like, I treat mana like a currency. So, like, value engines can be in the form of many different things because, like, there are so many different aspects to the game that allow you to push yourself forward, whether it's generating more mana or generating more card velocity so you can see more cards, draw more cards, scry more cards. Those are value engines. Like, uh Sara. So, like, just shout out to Nate. We played uh, PDH, which is Popper EDH, and he had Trailasara as one of, has his commander. Trailasara says, whenever you gain life, put a plus one plus one counter on Trailasara and scry one. And okay. so it's like it, with commons, it's pretty crazy that, how much you can gain life. And yeah. So it's like you just play a card. Soul Warden is a common. Essence Warden is a common. So just whenever a creature enters, those two triggers happen. Put a counter on it, scry one. Put a counter on it, scry one. And so it's like to the bottom, to the bottom. To that the bottom, is a to value engine. A yeah, perfect. Exactly. Yeah. So there's not, it's open-ended, right? Because it, it is always about a resource, but it's not about the same resource. Yep. And I think a deck thrives when it is able to utilize its resource most efficiently and maintain its resources, um, regardless of what that resource is. Yeah. The interesting part of magic is that we get to choose what decks we use and what resources we prioritize. Yes. And it's like there are times when I'm deck building and it's hard to explain my process because value engines are different to everybody because it just depends on your play style. When Ritter calls me out for building Rube Goldberg machines, it's because I don't see one card as a value engine. I see the whole deck as a value engine. Yeah. Like I am building one singularity of value engine where the cards come together to create one monster of a machine that gets me where I'm going. Yeah. Which is why he says I assemble some like convoluted, like crazy assembly, like <laughs> assembly machine. It's like my enchantress value engine, right? right. It, it alone, they slow down the game, but like as soon as you drop a Sarah Sanctum, it's like now I'm generating way more mana than everybody else. You know, it's dropping into the Sanctum Weaver and then my value engine starts to be generated, starts generating from the number of enchantments that I have. Totally. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Like what you were saying before with the, uh, the giver or not the giver but the uh sisters the soul yeah. wardens um like i wouldn't say one of them on the battlefield is a value engine but when you have you know two of them on the battlefield plus you know the commander that's uh, you know playing off that that is all of a sudden you're starting to assemble a value engine sometimes value engines are a single card mm-hmm. you know we're talking about ristic studies sylvan library yes. you know lots of those kind of things but yeah, exactly with your enchantment package like the second your Sarah Sanctum's tapping for three and every card you cast draws you a card and a half you know like yeah that is a, a very successful valuation at that point point. and I'll, I'll try to just like keep my you know, stop bouncing around so much but like even a, a value engine can be cons- like wandering archaic can be considered a value engine right? totally because like the best value engines in the game are the ones that generate value without you having to do anything which is why rustic study is good mm-hmm. other people play the game and you benefit from it so like um Wanting archaic is just like whenever an opponent or whenever an opponent casts an instant or sorcery, unless they pay two, you copy it. So it's like, holy shit, I can get some like crazy value off that. If you guys 
had ever followed me when I did Call Me Commander. I did a top five cards for Strixhaven. And I talked about just some of the, like, the simple things that you can abuse, but it gets really crazy when you have a Wandering Archaic out there and you get to Adnaz before the Adnaz player because they don't have the two mana to pay for that trigger. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of crazy. I love it. I really love Wandering Archaic as a value engine. But yes, like it can, you can extend it that far and say that these stacks pieces generate value. Yeah. Um, focusing us a little bit because this is such a broad topic I want us to direct to the top of the meta right ad nauseum this is the big bad this is what wins games right this is what everybody loves to be on the dick of (laughs) if you're playing black yes I mean, yeah, most people play black so that they can play this card, I, yeah. I would I would say. So shout out to, uh, I don't know any of the names, but we'll link them all down below. I should have been more prepared. That's on, my, that's on me. Uh, the guy who just won the last Mox Masters, we're just going to chat about this casually. Yes. He is the Jessica Timna deck, Mardu. Um, and he has elected to cut Ad Nauseam from his deck. Typically, and Turbo Ad Nauseam deck. Fuck Ad Nauseam. Yeah, this is like a whole fuck Ad Nauseam kind of podcast today mm-hmm. um and i'll be honest man i i'm kind of pondering like does this tevesh Grom deck actually need adnaz but let's get into his deck and what what he did and why i think it was so good um he started valuing top end and i think that is very underrated in cdh um and i think it's getting better i have they're putting better cards hallbreaker horror is not that old and right. we just got hoarding Lord, I would love to shout out the fact that no fucking content creator knows how to pronounce this card properly. Hordling? Hordling. Every person says Hordling. There's no L on this. It's a that's because it's called the Hordling Broodlord, dude. The Hordling Hordling's not even a word. It's like turtling. Hording is a word. Oh hordle, my god. Hordle hordle. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Anyway, I, I'll, I'll step down off my, my soapbox. Uh, just a quick shout out because we do love you guys, but Dylan and Cam were saying <laughs> hordling like in uh, I mean, the most recent episode. The CDHTV. Yeah. Oh, man. It's ev- it's everywhere. Anyway, I think the longer it'll be out, the more people will correct them. Uh, anyway, so now we have these hoarding broodlord lines, right? Like I think we've already discussed it. It's the whole saw and half combo. Look it up. Everybody's talking about it. Um. That's a pretty chunky creature to put in the Adnaz deck. Yeah, let's be clear that Hoarding Broodlord is not itself a value engine. It is the end result of a value engine, right? Because once it happens, it's done, right? You're chaining to finish the game. Like, your value engine helps you reach the Hoarding Broodlord. Your value engine helps you reach the Adnaz. Your your value engine helps you reach your combo line. Yeah, I would say condition. a Broodlord is like a soft wind condition, like at, or like Underworld Breach is a soft wind condition. Sure. I would not call... Yes, they're both value pieces. They yes. give you resources and such, but the way they're played more often than that is not that. Right. We have to look at the second word that we're talking about. Value is great, but the engine is where what we're talking yeah if we're just talking about value all these fucking cards play value you play mana you get value that's yeah. how, we, how the game of magic works <laughs> but we're talking about engines here that turn and generate us resources yeah you big dummy <laughs> you big freaking idiot <laughs> anyway uh so yeah this guy is elected to play a higher curve right and cut adnaz i mean he's playing villas and a reanimator package um and so that he can also hit his hoarding broodlord hoardling broodlord um, I think he's also have to play Peta. He's playing Necropotence, which I think plays a great line between a uh, win condition and a value engine. 
a lot of times you can just pay for life and go back up to seven if you need to. Oh, 100 percent. That's where I see the value. And I, I agree. At this point, it's it's definitely getting phased out a little bit of CDH, but I definitely think that that is where it shines. And 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 because of that, I would reckon that we'll probably start seeing it more again. Mm-hmm. The fact that we are we're calling for that for the the meta to shift into a more mid-range strategy again. I can only imagine that Black Dax will be running Necropotence. Yes. Um, it's one dark ritual away from It's always been my thought, man. Yes. It's like you're always running dark rate. You're always running Cabal Ritual. Yes. Like that is, and that's where I'm getting to is like why I'm considering kind of going around this Jessica Timna route is I have all these great rituals, but more often than not, it's just tutors to find ad nauseum and you don't have a lot of great payoffs. And so I feel like a lot of the time you have kind of worst card quality and you don't have your your rituals don't get you there every time right like you have to be very conservative and very conscientious and efficient with your resources because a lot of times they're they're weaker resources like your ritualing those aren't great like compare that to a signet that is not good right um so because of that i feel like often the these decks get into a very like toxic strategy of just committing and buckling under you know any amount of opposition uh because it's just there's so many interactable points you can interact on the ritual you can interact on the counter or on the the tutor and then you can finally interact on the wind condition or whatever um but should you opt out of that and should you put a higher take the ad nas out put a higher top end in right now all of a sudden these you still play these rituals you're not in green most of the time I'm talking specifically for me and Greg says, but now all of a sudden you play these rituals and these rituals get you to game warping effects. Yeah. Right. Like, like you are, you know, you're casting a hallbreaker or can't be countered game warping. You're winning that. Like these are like, these are the things we're seeing in standard and how standard is being broken in the moment is reanimation. Exactly. Attracts is a great example and that's multi-format. That's in CDH now. That's in every fucking format. Right. And it's because exactly what you said, reanimate is really good and we're getting better targets fucking every day for reanimate. And that just is diametrically opposed to what ad nauseum decks want to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And thankfully, we have the alternative. We have Pyramid of the Abyss. Everybody stop playing Pyramid of the Abyss, and I don't think that's the answer. I think the answer is to stop playing Ad Nauseum and play Pyramid of the Abyss as your alternative, and then you just play a, high, a higher card quality deck, even if that means you raise your mana curve a little bit. Because yeah. you're going to be seeing that later game. Right. This is where I don't have the experience as a player with, like, like I honestly have a hard time, like, wrapping my head around uh black mana and the strategies involved with it so like cutting ad nods what card quality are you talking about improving upon like i guess you know like uh because i'm let's say i'm a new player hi <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's fair i can't tell you exactly what out of the grixis shell i'd be cutting for what package and how many cards but i'll tell you cards like fucking right of flame don't feel great no, yeah, you know, we talked about that, right? It's like you asked me, is it worth a slot? You know, you see it in pretty much every shell. The it came into play once time. when you played it, and you're like, "This is the only time I imagine it's ever yes. going to do what I need it to do." And that's like that's the thing is that there are these little like cards with very little payoff that just do enough because, um, as we learned 
just by playing with some new new folks they had a different mindset about how to like put your opponents off just their man account by one because they're so used to playing against adnaz you know it's like what if you exactly if what you if know you, where to stick your finger in yeah yeah exactly so what if you created essentially a dynamic where it didn't matter like you're just generating like so many resources or at least a consistent a number of resources to where it didn't feel like a glass cannon and right. that's where like um decks like that revolve around value engines like thrasios where it's like that is the value engine you can just keep activating it and keep like putting lands out and keep drawing cards or now a rising star in cdh taom luminous and luminous enigma huge engine literally an engine yep like it requires a little bit of gasoline but once you get those three counters going mm-hmm. and the mana going it's like yeah, I was rifle through my whole library. It's like it's pretty sweet. There are a lot of commanders, good commanders that are engines in the commands. Yes, and that's, and that's those why are, they're good. Like Zerus for me, like that's like right. an engine Corvold. that I love to build around. Right, so Corvold, yes, Corvold is, is king engine. Yes, that is literally a V eight fucking Hellcat yeah. right there. So, uh, is a V twelve Hellcat? I, I, I don't fucking know. I don't know enough about cars. You can correct us in the comments. <laughs> Glad you brought it up so we could all be wrong. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, to, to just sort of, like, capitalize on what you're aiming for when you're establishing a value engine is, like, putting permanence on the board. Like, I'd say the best value engine in the game is Dockside, right? So, like, Dockside doesn't yield cards. Sometimes it does. Uh, but more than anything, it yields the mana necessary to push, like, so you can keep playing cards. See, here's an interesting thing. I would disagree with that. I would call Dockside a ritual. Mm. I think Dockside is a one-time investment for... And the things that support the Dockside loop strategies, like Emil. I, like, I would say Emil is a huge... Like, value in. Even if it didn't combo. Yeah. Yes. A huge engine. Yes. And then on top of that, yeah, Kitten. Perfect engine. Yes. Like, those okay. are the cards that take advantage of the other card. All right. All right. I see your, I see your perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like, things like... Uh, I guess, yeah, so here is, like, what I do with my Enchantress packages when I'm building towards a value engine is, like, I really liked Meticulous Excavation from Brothers War because I knew that it would be an excellent engine with Dockside. Like, it could help me loop Dockside, but it could also help me loop Sakama when I wanted to, like, go for that combo, right? So it just gets me value uh, either through, like, Sakama would just, like, bring me value through, like, permanent removal gaining life or whatever but like meticulous excavation was like in a way for me to like recycle etb effects right so that was you know it is a high cost but you can do it at instant speed during your turn so that's where i saw its value and uh, unfortunately no one else has seen it yet (laughs) it it is an engine it's just a tough it's a tough sell right now but i do think you know there is a world for it for sure yeah the ceiling the ceiling is infinite mana with dockside yeah i mean the ceiling is very high so i mean it's worth consideration um so say you're sold on this concept right say you love this top end idea if most of these games aren't over by turn two they're getting the to turn five and if, if you resolve any one of these pieces you will immediately take that game over yes the ad nauseum would actually be gassed out or they'll be trying to tutor to gear up for another go but they're not going to have anything solid in place that's really threatening the board state or ready to threaten the game until they're ready to just kind of pop off again, which is obvious and you'll be ready for it again because this is what this deck does is installs value engines. Yes. These decks install value engines so that they can interact early. They can burn their hand out. They're not burning their hand out on cheap shit 
to get to a turn two win. They're 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 fighting that guy. That's what they do. They either put the stacks pieces out that stop it early, get the Dranith out, whatever. Your arcane laboratory, you know, that's something I want to fucking tech and we'll see what's up. Uh, you know, your damping spheres, whatever the fuck. You know, something I love in uh, this build I'm playing is that I get to play Curse Totem. No, no creature activations. Yeah, fucking Gucci. You know, so um, you're spending those early turns. Yes, you're getting your mana in. Yes, you're you're getting your value engines in. Still, you know, you, we love those turn one mystics and everything. Uh, but you're also making sure that that person's not winning. A hundred percent. That's what you need to do. Like you need to recognize it's all the, exactly what Chris was telling us, right? Like who's the beat down that article. It's like you got to realize this motherfucker is definitely going to try and win before me. So it's my job to stop him without killing yourself to the other two players at the table. Right. And I think that's really the crucial spot. And I think that's where value engines come into play. If you manage to ramp, install a value engine and hold up interaction for that guy while everybody else is just feeding you will get to reinstall yourself into that turn three, turn five vibe. Which is why Ragavan gets killed so early. Like, it's one thing to take it's the two damage. Massive value engine. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, the it's, value engine. It is the best it's one, ridiculous. Mana, one mana engine. Yeah. So, because it does generate you mana, it does generate you card advantage, and it does take your opponent's life down. So, like, I would say Dragon Rage Channeler, another really great value engine. It's a great one-drop engine. Yeah, you can establish it very early. Uh, Esper Sentinel great value mm-hmm. engine it just- I, I actually don't run darcy all the time but i totally would consider it in this reanimator deck right mm-hmm. if we're putting villas in and we're putting hoarding broodlord oh in, yeah hoarding hoarding broodlord yeah. in bro just ima- lord just imagine fucking top of deck tutor like vamp tutor the broodlord at the top and then one non-creature spell it's in the graveyard ready to go yeah your your hand could literally just be um a rock a land darcy and then you vamp. Vamp to reanimate is your yeah. only hand. And you're yes. like, all right, I win the game. Yeah. Like that's that's pretty fucking cash. Uh yeah. Yeah, that would be pretty fucking amazing, honestly. Yeah. So So I th- and and that's what I really envied as I was selling my soul for the turbo lifestyle, is I envied the the pivotability, the ability to call an audible because you had the resources to do that. Like a lot of times it felt like you're all in and if your timing was wrong, you're fucked. And like that, I mean, and then shout out to the people that can win because really it is knowing timing. It is knowing what everybody else at the table, I their get timing. so nervous and sweaty when I get close. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and I felt like, yeah, I, I felt like if I just lost the timing, I, I lost the game. So I wanted something where I can, you know, instead pivot and I can actually focus on the table and stop the other people from winning until I'm felt comfortable for it. Yeah. Uh, and that's where I really think these value engines come into play. Yeah, totally. It's um, now to say like value engines are amazing. It is the you have to like it is timing, right? You have to find the right moment to establish them, establish something establishing them later in the game isn't always in your best interest because what value you're going to get when someone is threatening to win. Right. So there are plenty. Like the thing is, is that when we talk about the top 300, which is something we haven't quite laid the foundation for, we're talking about the top 300 cards that are playable in a competitive, well, in competitive EDH really, right? The pool of cards that you can play one ofs and whatever. And, like there are enough great cards in the top 300 to where you don't necessarily need to put any value engines in your deck. You can just straight gas it out, and that's what you know your Grixis Malcolm deck was was just straight gas. Clear. Did you cut Ristic Study at one point? 
No, but other decks have. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, it's just like because they're like hell bent on. That was a crazy like, couple of weeks where everybody was talking about cutting Rhystic Study. Yeah, yeah, you idiots. Like, <laughs> you know, there's like, no turn two. Rhystic Study's bad. And like, shut the fuck up. Yeah, it's like, no, you're going to get there. It's funny how the format has completely changed where. We're like, talking, having a polar all, opposite conversation right now. All the people who are listening now, like, and I'm, I'm going to tailor this into like any level of competition that you may have in your pod in commander but like at the highest level you can now relish in the fact that these like competitive games don't go two turns only they aren't super fast they aren't savage and like mean there are, yeah there are a lot of interactive points in the game but these games go to turn five or six pretty much every single game now it's because everyone is like it's the interaction yeah everyone is like packing the interaction that's necessary for them to compete so and for give themselves the best chance to win so a lot of these games go longer than your you know like uh, turn one you know uh rograk uh, I watched a Rograk Tavesh guy win on turn one once. Yeah. I mean, you don't like, can. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. But. I think everybody's like, it's a turn two format, which is like, yeah, most decks are set up to either win by turn two or to stop the win by turn two. And I think that's yeah. super, super crucial to recognize. But it's most decks are set up to stop the win by turn two. So when that happens, it's not fucking turn two anymore. We're getting to those turn fives. Yeah. Like, and so, so value engines, like when you talk about like this format, right? And you're like, when I get to turn five, what kind of value engine can I put into place that's going to generate me enough value over the course of two turns that is going to help me win the game or put me in the right spot to win? So when you start working your way down the competitive ladder and you don't want to be so competitive and you want to play in the high power, uh, you know, spell table games like value engines are more welcome while someone may sneak in a competitive deck every once in a while like you're able to set up engines on turn two turn three turn four and they generate enough value for you to like enjoy them through the game totally in mid power value engines are king right so it's what everyone's trying to do because that's the quirkiest way to like win the game those, are those like, eight piece value engines it's literally my zero deck is like yeah. i would call that mid as fuck even though yeah i mean those are most of yeah yeah, most of the decks we used to play that were kind of like gross was they were still mid decks. He's like, you assemble five cards and things get kind of haywire. Yeah, psychic corrosion shouldn't be like this. This deck that your card you play in a high power, it's just not good enough, right? So you, you every time you draw a card, each opponent mills two cards. In a competitive format, putting two cards in your opponent's graveyard is a good thing for yeah <laughs> so with how popular reanimation is what we're talking about you know it's like it's not a great card but in mid it's great it's a really great engine because your opponents lose like access to those cards essentially they're not playing those like reanimation effects unless no they, one's like oh, i'll just vamp for breach perfect yeah, yeah yeah unless they're like literally like gearing their deck towards like their commander is like a reanimator or whatever you right know, what i digress uh but when you get into low power value engines just like take over the game you know it's like but you can establish many there are tons of board wipes you can reset and reestablish value engines you get that experience over and over again so they they come into play in all different forms all different shapes and i guess what we were trying to talk about is like at the highest level like is adnaz like the end goal for you know or are you looking to set up value engines so that you can get bigger payoffs with things like uh peering to the abyss and hoarding broodlord and stuff like that so that's kind of where we're coming from is like when you play in those lower power levels your engines are 
gonna fucking run train on people you know if they're disruptive and they're like giving you cards and taking cards away from your opponents like share the spoils was such a fun fucking engine dude <laughs> like <laughs> i i'm telling you right now go out and buy share the spoils not because it's a competitive card or it will ever be in a competitive format ever but it was so much fun Fun. It, it was should, pretty fun. It should literally be expensive for how fun it is. It's like a plane chase effect. Yeah. Kind of what it felt like. So if you're unfamiliar, it's one in a red for an enchantment that when it enters the battlefield or when an opponent loses the game, each player exiles the top card of their library and then you may play a land or cast a spell once like once during your turn only from the pile and then if you do you exile the top card of your library and so it's kind of like this cool like everyone gets a card you know like you throw it all into a pile and everyone gets a chance to cast a card like that that's a value engine because you're starting you're seeing like depending how many players are at the table sometimes people play five or six player games Mm -hmm. you're gonna see five or six more cards you know so it's it, for two mana even at a four player table you're seeing three other cards and potentially taking a piece away like i remember uh we flipped kyle's ad nos into the pile and someone else yeah passed it. it gets a little crazy when you start playing with like high <laughs> yeah. decks, but uh <laughs> no yeah for sure it is a super fun card so yeah you can you can play in and this is why this conversation extends beyond the competitive scene because totally is live every well. format in magic plays value engines yeah. they all just look different and when i talked about Tayam a long time ago like those were mid decks and those were like uh like value engines that like yes it did revolve around Tayam, but like i was playing a landfall variant you know i was playing yeah stuff like that where it wasn't like it was very like low to mid power so yeah it it, it scales yeah like yeah it's funny this that we were talking about it and we fully actually have circled since that conversation that we were talking about cutting Ristic Study and now here we are like cut ad nauseum and put more Ristic Studies in your deck. Yeah, that's it. that is probably the easiest way to level with people and say it is like we're telling you get rid of the ad nause, play Ristic Mystic, uh, Esper, Sentinel type effects because they just generate it for a lower cost over time. They sometimes generate an equal or greater value. Yeah, like you need that many cards when you cast an ad nines because you need enough cards to win the game. Because pretty much after that, you're absolutely fucked. If you can't win, things are going to go really bad. Your win percentage, your window closes very quickly. But the opposite happens once you install one of those things, right? Obviously, you're not drawing 30 cards, whatever. But what you're doing is you're drawing six cards, maybe over the course of four turns, if it's if a thing goes unanswered. And if your card quality is dense enough. Bingo. Yeah. If you have a tutor, you find that reanimate or you find the fucking way to discard the Hordling Broodlord. I said that one as a joke. Uh, you know, any one of those is better than drawing fucking 30 cards and putting the bullseye like right on yourself. Yeah. That's what Necropotence does. And that's why I'm not like super sold on it as like a, uh, it, it can come back there. We've seen cards like Chain Veil out of nowhere just like come <laughs> back and, and win tournaments so it's uh it's not that i'm saying necropotence is dead or useless it's just man does it paint a big old target on your back because now people know you're using your life as a resource where in other cases people know you're playing black you're probably playing adnaz you're probably playing peered in the abyss so you're gonna use your life as a resource mm-hmm. so um that's you know ad or necropotence is just something that sits on the field and says danger 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 they're getting so many cards they're getting so many cards see i feel i feel like it's more undervalued maybe i'm wrong but like 
you know, you say you've mystic tutor a uh, fucking ad nauseum on top of your deck. That's red red sirens and stuff. But if I one hundred percent, if I even if I turn one dark written necropuns, pay three life. I think that I think it's a, a more political card. You can't politic ad nauseum. Ad nauseum is I win right now. Fuck everybody. But necropuns isn't like that. Unless you're running final fortune and you're fucking hitting it on that thirty top thirty that you pay the life for. Yeah. And you have the fucking right of flame or whatever. Uh, right of flame is a sorcery, but you know what I'm saying. So uh, like, take it. Yeah. To basically like put them into your hand on your opponent's upkeep or whatever. Cause that's the next time you would get a chance for priority. Well, I mean, no, you get an opportunity to final fortune before At, you describe oh, the card. So it? you get an extra okay. turn and and everything besides the point. I don't think that that situation happens that much. And I think that's what everybody's scared of when they see Necropotence. Nobody's fucking playing Shimmer Zer anymore where you're pl- casting, you know, your uh, Shimmer with Speed yeah. Flash. But I think if you just, if you politic it right and you just play that out because it is to you in your mind a value engine mm-hmm. and you're like, pay three life, draw three cards, go back to seven, pass turn. Yeah, but, it's not like you get the three cards right away though too. You know, it's like they go into exile until... Or they, yeah, until the end step, and then you get them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Pay the three, you know, go to pass the turn and stuff like that. You've refreshed your hand. You've set a value engine in place. You didn't ramp because you ritualed, but you have established yourself, and you've maybe not raised the, the alarm. Yeah, I think it's when you start paying 10 or more life with Necropotence when you start to, like, raise the alarm. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's just about how you how you play everything. And I think that's the great thing about Necropotence, like we said, is like, you know, it kind of walks that line. Sometimes you're just going to slam it and pay 30 life because you got the nuts. Right. But sometimes you're like, fuck, I just want to just draw a couple extra cards every turn. And essentially it becomes a better Sylvan Library because Sylvan Library is trash. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So when you said Sylvan Library is a value engine, it is. It is. <laughs> it is. But so share the spoils. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm starting to look at Sylvan Library like in a more in a less favorable light it's pretty bad man it's not yeah the timing like you can't abuse it at will which is like the best value engines in the game are the ones that you can like instigate over and over again mm-hmm. through you know like whatever strategy you built right the unique way to trigger that value engine is how you take advantage of it and how you break parity so like for me when i was building Tayom, uh you know my like promise of boon was like a great value piece for me because I could, you know, kill a creature and then get four spirits, get four vigilance counters and burr, burr goes the engine. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a unique way to break parity, a unique way to like generate value. So like, that's the bad thing about Sylvan library is that you play it maybe turn one. You have to play it on turn one. If it's any good, if Honestly. it's going to be any good, it's got to be on turn one. And so, uh, you know, turn two, it feels like it's too late. You know, if you played a land and a bird and, you know, maybe turn two, you come back around and you play a land, you play a Sylvan Library and like, you're like, okay, so I just sit here and wait and hope no one else wins. You know, you better be hoping, you better be hoping you're holding an open mana for like a red elemental blast or something. Right. So, um, yeah, there, there are all these like circumstances where cards are way better in turn in your on your first turn if you can play them on the first turn versus like now sylvan library it's like draw it on turn eight right you know god it feels bad yes but necropotence it's like you have a ton of mana you draw it on turn eight the game's still going it's like now i have the chance to refill my hand and actually pick up interaction so that i can get to my next turn yeah so that is significantly better you know it's just paying life it's such an easy cost to pay it gives you that flexibility 
in Sylvan Library, if it was just like, uh, whenever you would draw a card, you can, you know, this effect would be nutty, but like whenever you draw a card, you may draw three instead and choose one and put two back. Right. You know, like if yeah. that were the case, like <laughs> it'd be pretty good. It'd be way, way better. You know, like, but yeah, obviously that's me creating a fantasy scenario. So like that's Sylvan library is slowly phasing out. And I'm hope I'm not, I mean, I hope I'm wrong. Right. And there's, there's still room for it and I'm not stupid for keeping it in my deck, but like, it's like the conversation of like, do you take Rhystic study out? And it's like, no, you right. dummy, you know, it's like, and everyone's like playing Sylvan library. If you're playing green, that's how weak green is. is right. There's no better replacement for right. It. My question is this, if, if we are right, right. We're kind of hypothesizing this. If the meta shifts, if we go to more of a mid range style, if ad nauseum starts to falter because of it, does Sylvan Library start getting better because you get more turns for it to generate enough resources? Yes, but I, you know, well, yes, like straight up. If if you get it out early, it able, it's able to generate more. If you get it out turn two, turn three, if the game goes on until turn four or five, you at least get a few turns where you see more cards. But I do think that like Survival of the Fittest is just way better in the current meta to like find what you need obviously it sucks to opposition agent but also but fucking sylvan library sucks to your wheel thief <laughs> so sylvan library just sucks you know it's like <laughs> it, you as soon as you start talking about drawing cards and you're like oh notion thief and then you're just like well this just yeah sucks yeah that's the other thing is like getting to play these slightly chunkier cards like i want to play more three drops than like most of these grixis decks do and because they're value engine narset fucking sick value engine notion yeah. thief sick value engine uh oppo agent i would call that more of a stacks piece right it is yeah um i don't know if notion thief is probably more of a stacks piece but that's kind of mid for me it stacks but it does generate value yeah uh, but know, it, like, it requires something else to make it happen so i would call it more of a stack. archivist of ogma great value, value. yeah, yeah value value s percent obviously yes. like yeah so uh i mean yeah we could just sit here all day naming value engines but uh, uh, oh, that was all of them. Uh, uh, <laughs> we got every last one. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's pretty much most of my bit. I'm gonna be testing this as we go into the next few weeks. Am I cutting add-ons like immediately? TBD. We'll we'll chew on it. Probably not. This has you been know, a big discussion. You play the tournament. You see if you can fire one off, and if you do, you probably win the game. But like, I also just love the idea of coming up from behind like you like you just don't see it and all of a sudden like what the fuck this deck's playing villas this like this grixis deck more even more than the mardu deck like that was surprising but when a fucking grixis deck shows up and it's got you know hordling broodlord lol uh villas in it it's fucking necropotencing it's peering like very different decks bolus's citadel like you know that they were running a bolus's citadel with the uh goblin welder lines and i yeah. could totally do something like that it was great because he was able to manipulate um goblin welder for defense grid too so it was pretty much a an awesome little like out of nowhere uh like silence effect yeah i love that and like i think adnaws mid-ranging adnaws is possible right like when someone goes off for their win or they present a way to win using adnaws as a way to fetch interaction is less of a less popular than it is to like hey i have the mana for adnaws i'm gonna fire it off and see if anyone can interact with it right mm -hmm. so it's more of like a player's and the anticipation for adnaws i think is like 
you can see it on the battlefield like what you have present on the board can often signal that you have or that you're ready to fire off your adnaws or you just tutor and you put something on top and you have five mana available it's like what if you just you know you tutored and you picked up the card because you don't need to fire off adnaws right then and there right it's like i'll just pass the turn you picked it up wait until the proper moment the last possible moment fire it off pick up a ton of cards including a ton of interaction stop them on the stack like picking up a mind break trap obviously it's going to hurt a lot but you know you did pick it up and so you can like at least fire off your interaction uh almost like aha in a way yeah um you know obviously you don't get to like cast all your rocks and stuff like that which is where but you do almost guarantee that you get back to your next turn with a full fucking grip right for sure and i I think that goes back to what i was saying about the deck those decks thriving with timing yes like because i wouldn't call that more mid-range i think that's just picking your opportune moment even if that's later in the game I think as a whole, like I think those decks suffer the longer the game goes, though, because because the more incidental life losses happen, you know, the more fetch lands you've cracked, the more you know one ones, two twos that have come over that punched you because you're playing black, right? You know, even your value necropotencing, you know, like yeah. whatever. Um, so I, I just don't think you know as a strategy it holds up in these games that are going to these times. If your mana value, if your curve is so low in Tim or in like Chrom Tavesh, right? To where you can hold on to it and you can wait to like for an opportune moment the timing becomes, but you have Chrom out so you don't get punched. Oh yeah. You know, like that's kind of where I'm like, wow, this is a really sexy oh, line. Totally agree. And that was actually a huge argument to switch in the first place because not only that, but Tavesh. Tavesh being a planeswalker is fucking awesome because people love attacking planeswalkers when they're on the battlefield. It's a life cushion. Yeah, exactly. So and he's an a life cushion that's pretty fucking easy to protect. He makes two O ones and then you cast Kron next turn. Uh and he's pretty easy to hold up. So yeah, I mean as far as Grixis decks go, padding your life total or protecting it rather is that's a pretty good one for it. Yeah, this leans into my last value engine, but like cards like Toski and Oren Frostfang are being very are popularized in green decks, including like Naya decks like Jetmir and uh, the like. It, even Ian was building it into Shalai and Halar. Totally, because, you know, flying vigilance, whatever, and you can peck someone over the top. In my head, any of those are infinitely better than Sylphen Library. Yeah, the creatures that you're attacking with aren't powerful though right they aren't the ones that are like you know a eight eight double striker that's going to come over the top that's you know more battle cruiser or low power yeah. you know it's like they're part of your value engine they're the one ones one one flyers and shit like that someone doesn't have a creature down the ginger brutes yeah you because you're turboing out you have a ton of mana like let's say you land esper sentinel and then next turn you land mana vault tap your land and mana vault for uh, a Toski and you're going to hit somebody with your Esper Sentinel so you can draw a card right that's what we're talking about like so if you played Tavesh out on turn one like there's a likelihood that there's no value in me punching Tavesh for one right where everything he does pluses you it doesn't literally minus, that's you know? the other huge upside he's like do you want a plus one and plus two to this turn yeah <laughs> talk about value and so like um those like those are like things that I'm considering teching into like my Shalai and Alara build is because I have all these little weenies, right? And it'd be great if someone had their guard down and I could just peck them and get cards. And they almost always do. As long yeah. as you have the creature density to justify it, which honestly doesn't even need to be that high. Right. Like I don't think you need to be a 30 creature deck for for justifying those kind of cards. Yeah. Like the the decks that play Jetmere, it's like Jetmere can come down and it's not in immediately a threat to the game 
it is a threat to life totals, but is not an immediate threat to the game. So it can exist on the battlefield for multiple turns without being removed and mm-hmm. generate that value. So you can get the card draw. Right. And that's a really good way of looking at like Jetmere versus other commanders, other value pieces, uh, is like how much attention does it draw? Right. Like sometimes just casting Crom, people want to kill Crom immediately because it's like they're looking at a heuristic study that flies. Just a swords. Yeah. yeah. Like hit it, they'll hit it with a swords almost immediately or a path to exile because you're right. not playing basics. But like you look at Jetmir and it's essentially a value engine, or maybe maybe it's not. Maybe it's more of like it is harnessing the resources you've already gained and it's an out or it's your win. It's your overrun effect. Yeah. Whatever the fuck you want to call it. But like you said, it'll sit there. It'll just sit there, even though we know they're amassing creatures. We know next turn they're going to cast at least one, probably more than one. Yeah. Right? And, like, that's not great, but it has sat there because it just doesn't draw. It's it's not the value engine, I guess, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like, it does not do or, on paper, look as scary as what Krom does, even though I think the reality is completely the opposite. Like, me drawing two cards versus you getting, I don't know, fucking 30 power next turn, like, that's game warping yeah because it, it's looking at one side and being like i get a few cards and it might be what i need to like go off and then right. you're looking at well i'll lose 30 life on the other end so yeah and, and that's the other thing is like i felt like it was always super scary because you're always like i have shit mana and most of it's rituals so it's like sometimes i'm just gonna burn some rituals to set up that value engine everybody's like that was way too fast that was way too scary and now you got something scary on board and i don't like it what we're learning is glass cannons don't work as effectively as they used to yeah exactly so if you can kind of take that target off yourself and you know kind of like i said like i've said a few times just get to that that middle of the game i think this is where we're gonna find some sweet spots i think it was where we're gonna find some success that's why it's so worried about Shalai and Alar, dude, because people are like, it's got a two card combo. If they play it, they've got the combo. You know, it's like, yeah, that's it, the that's the fucking war zone I'm walking. I into. hope you get the opposite. I hope you get the opposite where they're just like, I don't know. It's just like another yeah, we, commander. Yeah. It's not as good as Rocco. It's brand new. Half the people haven't even seen it yet. Right. Like, we'll see. I think you get that. I think you'll get the luxury of that. This is like the first tournament sense that's come out. Really. Yeah. I just can't wait to bird like to evolution a bird into Heliod and then fucking right. <laughs> go for it. Yeah. I can't wait to fucking see that. It's yeah, going to be hot as hell. Be sweet. Uh, anyway, I, yeah, y'all, y'all talked out. I'm, I'm good to go. Put more value engines in your deck. Yeah. Fuck Adnons. They will pay off. Like I know that everyone has that player in their pod. Who's greedy and it's will me. expend all of their resources and, like That's waste, yeah, burn all the cards in their hand, and then when they don't get there, or you interact with them, they're dead for the rest of the game. One hundred percent me. This, yeah, this prevents that. This like, prevents that. Prevent. Is that you? Then do this. Yeah. Let me know how it goes because I'm gonna test it out right do now. Do you want to win more games? <laughs> do you want to be a better player? Look, value. Look engines. at some value engines. All right. That's enough from here. Us here at the Mock Stars Podcast. Be sure to follow, like, subscribe, and make sure to rate us on any and all podcast platforms. Go search out. Please. Search them out. Figure out how to do it. It goes a long way for the algae rhythm. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to probably get into some magic right here and now. We have to start training for this tournament. So, yes, we got to go. Deuces. Bye-bye.